0: I'm Brian Santo, E.E. Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to E.E. Times On Air. And this is your weekly briefing for the week ending May 21st. The old space race was among giant nation-states, which used technological progress as a stand-in for implicit military potential. That space race is still in progress, but now there's a new space race overlaid on top of the old. The new space race is being conducted by flamboyant billionaires who are already so fabulously successful, they've got little left to compete over, but for the extravagance of their respective ambitions. What benefit is there to this new space race? Our guest is Ian Kahn, an engineer and futurist who's made it his business to look at where we're all heading Before we get into the star-faring future of mankind, here are some of the articles we've got in EE Times this week. Artificial intelligence has been the dominant technology trend in recent years. Now, we're not saying that AI is over. Far from it. But there are signs that the market is settling down. The most prominent among them? It seems that the number of AI startups has started to tail off. Junko Yoshida's story is called AI startups plateau. Speaking of hot new technologies, the Internet of Things was all the rage until it wasn't. Narrowband IoT was touted as a method that would make IoT applications cheap and easy and more popular than they actually turned out to be. It seemed that NB IoT fizzled, but it's still percolating out there. Dan Jones, reports on the status of this enabling technology for the Internet of Things. Buttons are being replaced by screens everywhere. Even young people who've never experienced a world without touchscreens find that devices that lack buttons feel just weird. There are several companies that are developing technologies to make screens feel as if they have physical buttons by using various haptic responses. We spoke with NEXT Input on this program in December. Another, Boreas Technologies, has introduced what it claims is the first button replacement solution that combines force sensing, gesture detection, and localized haptics. And francoise Pellet reports on the innovation. Also this week, we've got an article on how startup Ampere is gaining traction with its processors for data centers about a new type of memory that could possibly replace DRAM, which seems to be sputtering out, about a startup called Edge Impulse that is creating a development platform for machine learning applications, something the field lacks and which engineers using ML would greatly appreciate, and other stories. Visit our website at eetimes.com for the latest in industry news and analysis. If you reached this episode through our podcast webpage, there are links to all of these stories on your left. The Space Race was an outgrowth of the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was the first to put a satellite in orbit. That was Sputnik, which was launched in October of 1957. Its battery lasted for three weeks and it fell out of low Earth orbit the following January. The Soviets were the first to get a probe to the moon. That was in 1959. The USSR was also first into deep space. Cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin completed one Earth orbit in 1961. The United States responded with a massive effort to land a crew on the moon, which it first achieved in 1969. The Soviet Union collapsed in the 1980s and with it the Cold War. Space exploration remained a matter of national pride. And while head-to-head rivalry was minimized, there was still co-opetition. The U.S. and Russia collaborated on the International Space Station. The European Space Agency became a partner. The U.S. and Russia sent probes to Mars. Japan, India, Europe, China, and Israel have all subsequently sent probes to the moon. Japan, India, Europe, China, and the United Arab Emirates have sent probes to Mars. The moment... People conceived of traveling to other planets. Private exploration of space was imagined. The staggering costs meant that only nation-states would have the wherewithal for space exploration, but that began to change recently when a few people began to collect staggering amounts of personal wealth. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, established his rocket company, Blue Origin, in 2000. Elon Musk founded a company that eventually became PayPal, which eBay bought in 2002 for $1.5 billion. Musk founded SpaceX that year. He wouldn't establish Tesla Motors until 2004, by the way. Richard Branson, the founder of the diversified conglomerate The Virgin Group, founded Virgin Galactic in 2004. Earlier, I used the phrase flamboyant billionaires. As the great meatloaf once said, two out of three ain't bad. Anyway, Here we are with NASA now dependent on these new aerospace companies to reach space. The space agency recently bestowed a huge contract on SpaceX, and Blue Origin is vigorously contesting that. In this new space race, the competition is real, and it is as bitter as it can possibly be without throwing democracy and communism into the mix. But what does that competition mean, and where is it going? Ian Kahn is an engineer and author. Now once upon a time, we might have called him a big picture guy. But back in 1970, the author Alvin Toffler published a book called Future Shock, which looked at how society was being affected by the accelerating pace of technological change. Toffler pretty much single-handedly dragged an obscure word into the popular lexicon. That word was futurist. Ian Kahn is a futurist. He's a consultant, has written for several magazines, and he's been a speaker at several TEDx events. He's been following this new space race. I asked him how he got interested, and he started with this anecdote.
1: I remember going to NASA about um, a few years ago, you know, doing the tour, like the tourist, and I just wanted to do that. I was with some friends. And I went there, and, and they, they have these uh, kind of uh, the big uh, warehouse-type Uh, you know uh, units built in there and so you go in there and they show you these computers they used uh, to do the first launch and the first you know space launch and and I was like are you are you kidding me are you serious (laughs) did they really use that to launch a person in space how how the hell is it possible and I was honestly I I thought this was a fake dummy it's something they've put together just to fool people but no In the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, that's what the technology was. We were still using, you know, tube-based computers. Your 1MB computer was as big as the room. Like, all of that is real. That's where technology started, right? We're not going to go back to the industrial ages, but we're just starting in in the kind of the 50s. And at that time, when technology was developing, evolving, you know, at a political level, at a country level, countries had this competition, let's dominate each other and whatever. But there were no venture capitalists. There was no Internet. There was no Facebook, no Google, no uh, Virgin. There was nobody. It was just a regular plain old world based on uh, the idea of, you know, industrialization, mass production uh, and all of that. And the world today, fast forward 50 years, 60, 70, 80 years, the world today is completely different and it just runs in a different direction. It is just a completely different direction. Take a look at what's happening right now. And I make sure that every time I'm doing a presentation or a keynote, I pull up the slide where the SpaceX uh, sh- the rocket is landing back in in you know in a vertical format. I show that to people to say, hey, we've actually moved quite a bit and this is possible it's not just happening in movies so t- let's take a look right look at the world right now ex-presidents are getting banned from twitter social media does it really matter right there's COVID 19 that's devastating the earth and we don't have seem to have a cure right that's another negative kind of a side despite the fact that we moved beyond in technology uh wars are still happening But yes, there's billions and billions and billions of dollars being spent in research, innovation, technology. And here's the big buzzword I'm going to throw out to you, artificial intelligence. Because AI will change everything. It'll change the way we work, the way we live, the way we sleep, the way we uh, reproduce, everything, right? So uh, this is, I'm not talking black mirror yet. I hope
0: it doesn't change the way we reproduce, but I get the (laughs) idea.
1: Right? So if you've seen Black Mirror, you know all the possibilities of, <laughs> oh yeah, okay, maybe. of the future, right? What's going to happen? And so here we are. If, if we are still in the space race, uh, and if, and you you wanted me to talk about, are we in the right place? I think sometimes I think we're slow. We're just slow in going forward. We should have done this, like... Why has nobody gone to the moon since they went to the moon first, right? We're struggling to go to the moon and collect samples of something, right? So I think we should have been far, far ahead. And I think this space race, the commercialization of space that's happening right now, we're late. We should have done this 10, 15, 20 years ago. But but nevertheless, I think we're at the right place, right? How it's happening... And let's talk countries. Let's talk companies. Let's talk billionaires and the crazy races. The billionaires who are racing to get to space. I think it's all good, and it's just very exciting. I think it's exciting, and it 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 shows me that we're progressing as people, as humans, in one dimension, in one area, of what we can be.
0: Well, you mentioned that you're an engineer. Got an engineering degree. Uh, a lot of people that I have listening out there are engineers. Um, I've told this story on this podcast before. A little while back, I remember going out to um, to Grumman back in the uh, probably the late '80s, and um, I was actually there uh, to talk about uh, and 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 view some of their defense contracting operations, um, but. We had all day and uh, uh, they're shepherding me around and they said, you know, just, just a second, these guys happen to be meeting today and they brought me into a room and it was all the guys from Grumman who had worked on the space module, the, the moon lander. And I got to just sit around and, you know, talk to these, you know, a few of these guys and talk and so all day long I'm listening to the defense contracting, and they're proud they were very happy they were you know serving their country they were they were proud of their technological achievements. But when I sat down with those guys who worked on the lunar ran- lunar module in the lunar lander, there was joy. These guys were happy they were really they weren't they were, they were really proud of their not just the job they'd done but the contribution they had made. And it was re- it was an entirely different, um, a different uh, emotional kind of an experience. We're talking about going to the moon and maybe there's not a lot of reason to go to the moon. But the excitement I see with an achievement like that is just unparalleled. And I'm, and I'm wondering and it, and it sounds like you share that.
1: I think more than you know. Rightly said. More than the fact that we'll go to the moon and collect some rock samples and then come bring them back to Earth and say, "Oh, oh my God, there was water on the moon a billion years ago." Or I, that I don't think that's exciting at all. I mean, we are clearly in an age where we have to expect that. Hey, there's other life forms. There's other planets probably in this entire mega universe that we haven't even been able to scratch the surface of exploring. There's, there's a huge possibility there's other stuff happening there. If we say there isn't, then we're ignoring truth, right? I interviewed um, uh, uh, Bill Diamond, who's uh, the CEO of SETI, uh, a while ago on my podcast. And I, I said to him, hey, is there life outside of the planet? You know, that big question that I had to ask him and he said hey who knows what's possible we're looking for it we haven't found anything but but you know you don't know what's out there so having said that the smaller things i think are very obvious you know there's going to be, we will find trace elements and we'll find crazy things but what is important is are people as are we as a civilization pushing ourselves to do something different to to leave this planet and to become that intergalactic generation and intergalactic civilization, that is important. That, that hunger as an engineer, and you, you, you prodded me about the engineering thing in a good way. I think as engineers and as technical people, you get excited with new breakthroughs, right? We, we don't get excited by machinery that's running fine. I mean, yeah, it's working fine. But something new, dramatic, crazy, and we're like, hey, this is exciting stuff. So I am super excited for that reason that we don't know how we will end up evolving. Maybe our kids, our grandkids will end up living on, on, I don't know, on a different planet, who knows? But that's the exciting part is to be part of something, a change that happens. And I think innovators, engineers, people who design things, they love seeing things go from zero to, being, to working from a prototype to a product. And that's what... I think is fueling innovation, change uh, in in many different ways, including in, in the race to space.
0: Yeah, so it's just from a uh, just a, from an engineering standpoint, um, being able to to have a commercial operation, uh, put a vehicle up into space, uh, in in one instance, take a part of the launch, part of the launcher, and bring it back and reuse it. Um, Innovations like that, do you get jazzed when you see that kind of stuff happening?
1: I do. Yeah, I do and you know some of the stuff that all of these guys, Musk, Branson, Bezos, they're all doing it's is good, right? Forget the commercialization part of it where it's about okay, who's got the better rocket and it's it does, you know, it, it has so much thrust and it has so much capacity. Everybody will get there eventually, right? There's no there's no secret out there. Um yes, some of some of, you know, Musk is ahead or whoever is ahead right now. That's great. It's just their strategy to be ahead. I really think that from a from a technological perspective, we are making gains. We are making breakthroughs, and uh, with the uh, with the evolution of other technologies that are now part of this entire technology stack that you can use. You know, going back to that fifty year, I talked I talked about that old old system versus what we can do now. I think it's really possible that we'll be able to go further uh, and actually make these things possible, actually have commercialized space travel in the next decade or so, right? in the ne- By 2035, there's supposed to be something happening by 2030 and so on and so forth. Um, and I think that's very exciting because like Alan Toffler said uh, a long time ago, that technology feeds on technology, it feeds on itself, and that's how it innovates, that's how it accelerates. And I think that's, we and that acceleration now has become faster it has become bigger, it has scaled up, and it's scaling up a lot.
0: Are you as equally as sanguine about you know, technology dispersal with, with what we're seeing today?
1: I, I am, and I think there's a bit of a blend between different things that are happening and how they all feed on each other or how there's this cross-fertilization of technologies that's, you know, uh, and so for example, if you look at the medical field, We can say, hey, surgeries are becoming really efficient and there's keyhole surgeries and non-invasive surgeries, but doctors can't do anything and surgeons can't do anything about it unless an engineer goes and creates that equipment that they're able Mm -hmm. to use to create do those surgeries, right? So they're Mm -hmm. dependent on innovators and inventors and hardware people who can manufacture these precision goods and equipment somewhere in in a factory somewhere. So there's that happening for sure. Now take a, and and so you you could talk about cosmetic dentistry, it is a form of surgery. You could talk about cancer surgery. It's a, so there's so many different surgical fields it could apply to. Now when you talk about space, it's not about just designing the rocket, right? It's it's also about communications. It's also about uh, fuel and efficiency. It's also about a hundred different things that they need to do, uh, orbital uh, you know maneuvers and so on. Now, If you look at connectivity as an example, the, uh, you look at Elon Musk and his uh, Starlink project, where, and it's a controversial project, some like it, some hate it, uh, where he uh, is working on having broadband connectivity across the world. They're launching hundreds of satellites, and the entire world will be covered with broadband connectivity. It's, it's connected to the space race. It's not an isolated thing. Um, and the fact that they're also developing in SpaceX, you know, a, a, a ship that can launch in the next five to 10 years or doing other things, these things are cross-fertilizing each other. And so in the future, people from the spaceship, whether they're traveling for leisure or, 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 or on work or whatever, they would be able to have seamless communication with people on, the, on Earth, Right. And maybe on, with people on Mars, like there's all these different things that are that are shaping things to come. NASA is attributed to inventing a lot of breakthroughs. They're not mm-hmm. using them uh, commercially, but they are attributed to use to creating special polymers, special materials, special types of fabrics, and and they're used in different places, right? You'll see it everywhere, invented by NASA or whatever. Right. And so they're used in different fields as well. And I think. This space, the race to commercialize space is just the commercial side of it, but the innovation that's going behind it is going to help other people. So, communications is one part of it. Uh, of course, discovery of new materials, new equipment, new, um, you know, shrinking things so that they fit in a small, like applications. Look at the fact that you can shrink a lot of things in a very small area and nanomedicine, right? I'm guaranteeing you that in the next five to 10 years, some nanomedicine breakthrough will come. From Musk. Oh, well, it's already happening with Neuralink, right? Neuralink. How, how could I not say it? So that's already happening, and it's all connected because technology, I believe, is is fueling other innovation in other zones. And luckily now, there's a lot of money available. There's, and I'm not talking about cryptocurrency. <laughs> I'm talking about venture capital. Tons and tons of money is available for people to take these risks and to invest. People are investing in in things now, so.
0: Is there a is there a big question involved here about going to to the moon or or going to Mars when there's there's work to be done here at home. Is it is it an either or or can we afford
1: to do both? I think you know, you look at the turmoil the planet is in sometimes and you say, Hey, oh my god, what have we done wrong? Look at COVID-19. Uh, whatever the reasons for it are, we're we're battling it. India is battling it right now. Brazil is battling it. The US, we're all going through it in some way or the other. And it's a global event that has changed the face of humanity forever. Now, we could say, hey, let's cancel everything else and let's just focus on COVID-19. I don't think it's possible. Yes, we can prioritize things for some time and we can do that. Now, when you look at bigger things, for example, the 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 race to space and the launching of commercial, these things take a lot of time. They take years in planning, right? And when uh, SpaceX or or uh, Blue Origin or anyone or Virgin is launching their next probe, they've taken a lot lot of time to launch it. If you look at the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and they had their Mars. A probe just out in space. It didn't just happen in two days. It took a long time for them to plan it, deliver it. Decade in, in in the works, and so I think some big things have to go ahead. We have to go ahead with them while we while other people focus on the problems on Earth, right? The sci- the medical people focus on disease. The space scientists focus on us, focus on going to space, and and we just distribute and conquer it that way. Uh, I don't think we should stop innovating. Innovation should continue. Uh, we cannot stop being creative because it helps us solve problems in many different ways. And, and this is an example of being of being creative and innovative. So I don't think we should stop. I think we should continue. There has to be a constant, um, uh, you know, fuel that's going into uh, into into this exploration of space, as an uh, you know, as an example, I guess.
0: Just like uh, why are we going to the moon back in the 1960s well all that technology ended up permeate a lot of that technology ended up permeating into that that medical technology you were talking about a moment ago that that uh, that's helping with surgeries that could never be performed before um, yeah I, I think that there's a there's an interconnectivity to, to the technology into the solutions that come out of it I,
1: yeah water purification right they use really yeah. these compressed modular, uh, water purification units on, on, on the space station, on these rockets, right? Because there's you're using body fluids and you're recirculating them and drinking that. And that could be so valuable in some countries where there's no water, in Asia, in America, in Africa, wherever. Uh, we won't be able to do it if nobody's researching that and nobody's kind of funding that. So,
0: Yeah. So what haven't I asked you about going to the moon, about going to the Mars, about going into space that, uh, that you're jazzed about that we haven't discussed yet?
1: I, I think the question should be, or we, we should all, uh, always ask e- each other that, why are we doing this? Why are we going to Mars? Right? W- why are we, what are we going to do? And I think the big question is we need to know where we're headed because if we don't know that, then we're, we're, just, we're just pirates out there in, in the open sea. Yeah. So it's really important that we ask ourselves, why is this happening? And I think uh, space is, is a domain that has been unconquered for a, for a long time. In fact, deep sea is a place that is unconquered. We don't know a lot about deep sea, right? Uh, it's mostly unexplored. Uh, but I think the possibilities... Of where we can be, uh, how we can maybe uh, solve some of the crises on on the planet, or uh, push human endurance and limits, and uh, maybe maybe some of us will live on a different planet or on a spaceship in the future, right? There's many movies out there that that come out by the hordes, you know, every every year. They haven't come out for a while, but check out some of the movies. And movies are such an inspiration for me because they get you to think and, and, and envision and visualize uh, on what it could be. So I think it's important to question things. Why are we doing this? Are we in the right place? Where will we be- What will we become as part of this? And what will we learn as part of this? I think these questions should always be asked. Um, yeah, but you have, you've asked me all the good questions. I haven't asked you this. If
0: commercial... Space tourism happens anytime
1: soon enough. Are you gonna get in line to get on? Okay, I I really think that commercial space tourism is going to be very expensive when it starts. Where whenever it starts in the next 10, 15, 20 years it's going to be really expensive and I don't think an average person would be able to afford it. It'll remain the domain of the super rich, the billionaires, the trillionaires.
0: You're not making that much money as a futurist. Correct. Co- and that That's telling my me? point.
1: <laughs> so I'm not making that much money as a futurist unless some, some magic happens. But if it was affordable for an average person, and I'm, I'm commenting myself as an average person, if it's affordable, I would give it a try. I would definitely hop into some kind of a craft and say, I'm going to do this. Let me you know, if money was no objective, right, and mm-hmm. if it was all about, hey, do you want to live on a different planet for the next three months to on Mars? I I might give it a try, right? I have small kids though, right now. Not now, but maybe when they're grown up, I'd say, hey, let me give this a try. So it's exciting because it's different. It's um, uh, it's interesting. It's uh, you're 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 finding out the something that that nobody else has has seen. Um, and I think commercial uh, space travel, whether it's in low orbit or you know people end up living in on Mars, it, it'll be the domain of a very few people in the beginning. And I personally see maybe the next thirty plus years for it to uh, be something that a lot of people do. But but it's it's one of those things.
0: Yeah. yeah see, now I grew up as I was a little kid watching the Apollo astronauts and thinking, gosh when i grow up i want to be an astronaut and i got into science fiction reading as a reader young and and the idea of of traveling in space was so attractive and it took me a few years to remember that i get motion sick really easily yeah yeah so uh i don't know i'm torn do Mm. i (laughs) (laughs) But <laughs> if if I, if I actually got on one of those rockets, would I be so ill, I wouldn't be able to enjoy the experience.
1: Now, here's here's the kicker. We don't probably realize that in order to actually go on a, on a space flight, you've got to undergo some training. A really hard training for maybe months and months and months. And maybe a lot of people will not pass that training. It's not just buying a ticket and flying in space. Like if you were to take a person from the planet Earth put them in a space shuttle and launch them up. I would go crazy up there in an hour because this is an environment that's new to me. Yeah. So that training process is going to be very rigorous, like you train an astronaut. And that's where a lot of people will not kind of go ahead. And I think that's one of the one of a speed breaker right there. So yeah, unless it's simplified in some other way with, with spacesuit design and all of those things. But uh, I would do it. That's my vote. <laughs>
0: well i hope you get the chance <laughs>
1: let's hope so let's hope so
0: all right ian thank you very much for this discussion i enjoyed it
1: brian it's a pleasure thank you so much and and uh to all your to all your listeners stay curious and uh, because curiosity pays it, it pays to be curious and it the cat is killed with, you know curiosity kills the cat don't listen to that stay hey, they, curious. you
0: have nine lives anyways right exactly exactly you've got
1: to say that <laughs> Perfect, thank you so much. Hey, it's been a pleasure and you take care. Thank you.
0: We've been talking with futurist, Ian Kahn. During our conversation, Khan mentioned the Starlink Satellite Communications Network. This week, we have an article on the website from EE Times contributor, George Leopold, on how Starlink is collaborating with Google to enhance its broadband capabilities using Google's cloud services. And that is a wrap for the weekly briefing for the week ending May 21st. Thank you for listening. The weekly briefing is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher, but if you get to us via our website at eetimes.com podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. This podcast is produced by E.E. E. Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week.